Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors here on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. However, I am not Terry Wickstrom. This is Ronnie Castiglione. I am sitting in for Terry today. Terry is on assignment, which is code for people that know Terry, that he's really up in Minnesota. He's doing some fishing. He tells me that he's doing valuable research up there for the listeners, but I know that he's up there kind of goofing off and catching a bunch of big fish. So we're going to look forward to hearing how Terry's adventure went when he gets back in studio next week. Uh, I got a couple things to go over real fast with you here, folks. Uh, quick reminder that next week, Terry is going to be on September 9th. Saturday with a shortened show. So the show is going to be preempted for Air Force football. So the show is only going to be on from 9 to 9.30 next week. So uh, be sure to turn in for that, and we'll hear all about Terry's adventure in Minnesota. But also, we've got a whole bunch of things going on. It is definitely that time of year, folks, where there's a lot of stuff going on in the state, a lot of fun things to be doing outside. Fishing is going great right now. Lots of good fishing all around the state, and we're definitely going to talk heavily about fishing while I'm in studio here today. Uh, we have some other things coming up on the calendar that I wanted to mention as well. We have the Taste of Colorado going on downtown Denver this week, and we're probably going to go down there and check that out today. So Taste of Colorado is happening down there. We also want to let people know that September 23rd and 24th out at Cherry Creek State Park, there's going to be a outdoor adventure expo happening down there so there's going to be a lot of people from the parks uh, a lot of the local guides some of the people that you hear on the radio here on terry wickstrom outdoors are going to be down there uh, all kinds of things happening down there so if you folks are looking for something to do that is september 23rd and 24th down at cherry creek state park and that's going to happen from 9 a.m to 3 p.m down there so that's exciting let's see i had a few other things i wanted to go over one quick other piece of information i want to let you folks know about uh we're having uh, changed the boat ramp hours up at some of the northern reservoirs. So the reservoirs I am on a lot, Horsetooth Reservoir, Carter Lake. Inspection hours are going to be changing up there. So, uh, you know, the South Bay boat ramp and the inlet boat ramp, the two main boat ramps on the southern end of the lake, those are going to stay on the same hours that they're on right now at Horsetooth, so 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week. But the Satanka ramp, that's the very northern ramp there on Horsetooth Reservoir, that ramp is going to be closed on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and then it's going to be reopening on Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. So they're going to have some limited launch hours up there, but the other ramps on the south end of the lake are going to be open normal hours. Carter Lake is also starting to go into those uh, sort of you know, this is kind of the fall hours that they're getting into right now. So the north ramp at Carter is going to stay the same, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., but the south shore ramp is going to be closed for the season. Um, all of this starts here. Uh, well, geez, yeah, it looks like it starts here pretty soon. So those are the new hours that are going to be happening, so pay attention to those, folks. And, yeah, they start September 6th. September 10th. That's when those hours go into effect. So there we go. That is kind of some of the info that I wanted to cover real fast. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of this opening segment to talk about a few things. One thing I wanted to bring up real fast, folks. Um, I lived in Texas for eight years. Uh, you know, I definitely have a lot of friends in Southern Texas. Uh, my heart definitely goes out to everybody that's in Texas and Louisiana. If you had not taken the opportunity to donate a little bit of something to the Texas Relief Fund, uh, for the for the Harvey Relief Fund, that is, 
um, take an opportunity to do it, folks. Um, those people are hurting down there. They're, it's a great part of the world. Like I said, I lived in Austin, Texas for a long period of time, and I've been to Houston a whole bunch, and it just breaks my heart to see all the videos and all the pictures of, of Houston and the flooding and everything that's taking place down there. It's a real mess. Those folks need a lot of help. So take a little time. I know that they've got a, a, a way to do that here at 104.3 The Fan. So if you're looking for a way to donate, get on the website, and you can get on there, and you can click, and you can donate to the Harvey Relief Fund. So that, now, let's take the rest of the time and talk a little bit about what I know best, and that is fishing. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a fishing report as far as what's going on in northern Colorado. On the reservoirs in northern Colorado, Horsetooth, Carter, and Boyd, water levels are dropping fast. Now, no doubt about it. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later in the show in more detail on our Ask the Expert question that has to do with the falling water levels. So we're going to talk about that later in the show. But what's happening right now on horse tooth? Let's talk about horse tooth. Start off talking about that. The water in horse tooth is absolutely flying out of the reservoir. Um, we track the water going in and the water going out up there, and we have seen higher rates of water exiting the reservoir than we have ever seen in the last, let's say, 15 years of, of being on horse tooth and paying attention to that thing. Water is going out of that reservoir at well over 1,000 cubic feet per second, uh, which is a dramatic, dramatic thing for that lake. Uh, there's only about 50 cubic feet coming in, so it's flowing way out faster than it's coming in. It is that lately we're seeing that reservoir drop anywhere from one foot to maybe a foot and a half a day, folks. So water is definitely flying out of there. Now, I will tell you that in the grand scheme of things, if you're familiar with horse tooth and you understand how that reservoir works, the water is still relatively high at this point comparable to, you know, its yearly average. It's anywhere from 20 to maybe 25 feet from full pool, and they definitely filled that reservoir all the way up this year. So it is still very high. That reservoir does fly fluctuate on average over the years around 50 vertical feet, but it is also very common for us to see them draw 65 to 75 vertical feet out of that reservoir. So uh, there's definitely plenty of water up there, but the water is flowing out. That will change the reservoir. There's no doubt about it. If you went there last week and you got on top of a hump and you found some fish that were 20 feet deep, if you go back there the following week, that same hump is only going to be eight maybe seven, maybe six feet deep. That is how much water is going out of there, and that will absolutely move fish around the reservoir. It definitely affects where the fish are going to set up on any given day. It puts the fish on their bicycles. Those fish are moving around a whole bunch. It puts a bunch of fish that are suspended in the water column that are moving around. And the other thing that's happening is there is a lot of bait fish moving around horse tooth right now. As the water drops, that bait fish starts to kind of gather together in the main basins of the lake. And if you get out there and you run up and down the lake real early in the morning and take a look at horse tooth there are gizzard shad completely covering the entire lake they're in small little schools they're moving around the lake and there are definitely fish out in the middle of the lake that are busting and eating those fish so there's an opportunity to get out there really in the morning and target those fish those are fish that are doing what i like to do i talked about it a lot on this radio show before getting out there and sight casting to fish that are coming up and chasing bait in open water that's one of my favorite ways to fish it's a lot of fun when you're you know really excited you see a big fish come up and he's busting and chasing shad and you're working the boat over towards him and you get near and you make a real good cast at him and boom the rod loads up right away it's a lot of fun it's one of my favorite ways to fish and it's something you could definitely get done right now on a horse tooth um there's some other things happening on a horse tooth other techniques and i'm going to talk about those later in the show so let's go ahead and talk about boyd lake boyd lake the water is falling in boyd lake as well 
kind of a trend here on the radio show today. The water is falling. Um, however, it's not falling nearly as fast as it's falling on Horace Duke. It's definitely going down several inches a day. That lake right now is anywhere from 10 to 12 feet uh, low of full pool, and they absolutely filled Boyd this year, folks, higher than I have ever seen Boyd filled with water. At least in the last 15 years, I haven't seen Boyd as full as they put the water into it this year. They filled that lake all the way up, so there's still a good amount of water in Boyd, even though it's 12 feet down from where it was. Um, that's moving the fish around that lake, no doubt about it. What we're seeing right now on Boyd is a lot of the aquatic grass that had grown in, a lot of the big mats that had grown into the lake, and the lake was absolutely covered with it. It looked like Lake Okeechobee this year, folks. There was so much vegetation growing on that lake because the water was so high. A lot of those aquatic mats are now coming out of the water, and what that's, what that's doing is it's, it still has some of the aquatic mats that are left in the lake, and it is concentrating the fish on those aquatic mats. So now that there's not just miles and miles and miles of that stuff, there's far less of it, now those fish are definitely going to be in on that stuff, and you'll be able to find that stuff on some of those isolated mats, some of those mats that are still left out on the ends of those rounded points, some of the mats that are still there that are on some of the steeper banks on that lake. Those mats are definitely going to hold fish. The other thing that's going to happen this time of year as well, as that water drops off of those mats, that kind of pond weed, aquatic stuff that's growing up, there's another kind of grass that grows into Boyd. And truthfully, I don't know the name of that kind of grass, but it's kind of a real stringy, long, buggy whip kind of looking grass. Um, that stringy grass is the kind of grass that last year as the water fell out of that lake and the mats went away, the fish absolutely stacked on the outer edge of that stringy long grass that grows deeper in the lake. That's the deep grass. That deep grass when the lake was full was down around 20, 25 feet. That's the grass that's now coming into play as the water drops. So pay attention to that if you get out there on Boyd. There's definitely a lot of fish that are going to be relating to that grass. And the other thing we're seeing on Boyd, and we're probably seeing it on a lot of lakes around the state, is that the bait fish are definitely starting to move around the lake. The gizzard shad, the little new gizzard shad, are all over the lake. They're all over the northern flat. They're all over the southern flat uh, by the gazillions, and there's definitely a lot of fish in there chasing and busting and doing all that kind of good stuff. So you can get in around those bait fish, and you can definitely target the fish that are in there feeding. And then the trolling bites also going really, really good right now at Boyd. Uh, guys are up there catching walleyes, trolling things like flicker minnows and flicker shads and things like that that are emulating those little bait fish. Uh, as those fish pull off those flats, as those fish are forced out of the cover, as they're forced out of being under the docks and all those places those fish like to hide, then that trolling bite gets going really good up on Boyd. So that's another good opportunity that you can take advantage of up on Boyd. Now, real fast, let's talk about the two rivers in northern Colorado. I absolutely love fishing the rivers. I grew up fishing the rivers almost every single weekend as a kid, and I have been spending some time lately on the rivers doing some fishing out there and having a blast. The Big Thompson River, it has about 275 cubic feet per second coming down that river, a little higher than its average water level for this time of year, but that is still a very, very fishable flow rate. Uh, that's the kind of flow I like. I tend to not like the rivers when they're real, real low and skinny. I tend to like them when they're kind of in that medium to medium heavy flow range uh, because I like to get out there and fish those rivers with spinning gear, and it definitely gives me advantage over the fly guys. When the water's moving hard and fast, the spinning gear can get me into pools and get me into runs that are very, very difficult to get at for fly fishermen. So I think, you know, it just puts me in front of some fish that aren't getting any pressure.
pressure. So that river's still flowing pretty good, but it is slowly dropping. It's got a, a pretty good drop rate to it, so it will continue to go down most likely. Now, the Poudre River as well. The Poudre is definitely starting to slow down quite a bit. It's in that mid-500 cubic feet per second range. Um, you know, the, that's kind of a good flow rate that's happening on the Poudre. Definitely a little bit more water than it's coming down the Big Thompson, but the Poudre is very, very fishable right now. We've been up on the Poudre lately, folks, and we've been doing serious damage up there on the Poudre catching trout. No doubt about it, they have been jumping all over that little gulp minnow on a 16th ounce or a 1 8th ounce jig head, that 2.5 inch or that 3 inch gulp minnow, something in that emerald shiner color looks a lot like a little baby trout, and those trout are absolutely all over that thing. We've also been catching a lot of fish throwing small little jerk baits, tiny little jerk baits up there that float real high on the water column. Those little jerk baits have also been triggering a lot of strikes, and then we've also been throwing some little underspin type presentations up there, some little grubs and little tube jigs, and putting them on little spin arms and doing things like that. So that's been working really well up there for fish as well, and it's an excellent opportunity to get out and target those rivers while the lakes have falling water. Because I will tell you, folks, there's no doubt about it, when the water is falling in the reservoirs here around the state, it definitely confuses a lot of people. It definitely makes fishing a lot more difficult. It's not that you can't catch fish. It's that they're not going to consistently be in the same spot day after day after day. They're moving around, and you got to spend a lot of times moving around the lake and trying to scout out and figure out where these fish are moving to, try to find them on your electronics, try to realize, okay, well, they want to be in, let's say, 20, 25 feet of water. The lake's dropping 10 feet at a time, uh, you know, 10 feet a week or so. Uh, last week they were here. Where can I find new structure that's going to be at the right depth this week? So that's kind of the deal. And like I said, folks, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on in the show when we get into our Ask the Expert question. So that's going to do it here for the first segment. Uh, we're going to take you to a break. And when we get back, we're going to have a couple of park segments coming up. So we're going to be talking to Scott Murdoch here. He's a wildlife manager for uh, Parks and Wildlife. And we're going to talk a little bit about Operation Game Thief when we get back. So you're listening to Terry Wickstrom out here outdoors here on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Honey Smoked Fish Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. I still hear your sea winds blowing. This is Terry Wicks from Outdoors. I am Ronnie Castiglione. I'm sitting in for Terry Wicks from today, and we are going to go right to the phones, folks. And joining us in the first of our two park segments is Scott Murdoch. Scott, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm a little fired up here in the studio, but I'm starting to settle in. Now, you are a wildlife manager out in Conifer, and you wanted to talk about Operation Game Thief. Scott, what is Operation Game Thief? So wildlife, uh, excuse me, Operation Game Thief, it's a, it's a wildlife program that we basically pay rewards to citizens that turn in poachers. Um, obviously, we've got uh, a lot of uh, wildlife officers out there, but certainly we don't have enough. And so we really rely on hunters and fishermen, as well as uh, other outdoorsmen to keep an eye out uh, on the woods and, and really focus and uh, find people that are, are violating our wildlife laws. Now, for people that don't know, what, what exactly is poaching? What, what are you looking for as far as hunters and fishermen go? Yeah, so basically poaching is, is the illegal take of any wildlife. Um, so hunters, obviously, they're required to have uh, hunting licenses. Anglers are, allowed, are required to have fishing licenses. And the reason this is is because wildlife is property of the state. So any possession or take of wildlife, you've got to have some sort of permit. And so anybody who takes wildlife without any sort of license would be considered poachers. And so 
there's a lot of reasons why folks poach, uh, but ultimately uh, anybody who takes that wildlife illegally is kind of considered uh, a poacher. Now, it wouldn't just have to do with taking it without a license or whatnot, right, Scott? It would also be like fishing, for example. Maybe people are taking fish that are under the size limit and, and keeping those, or perhaps they're they're taking well over their limit of fish on any given day and that sort of a thing. That's something else that you guys are also looking out for, right? Absolutely right. Yeah, we've got a, a huge variety of different wildlife laws, and a lot of our laws um, cover different aspects. One of them, you know, some of our laws may protect people, some of them protect wildlife, uh, and others, um, you know, ensure different distributions of the wildlife on the landscape. And so we've got a huge variety of different laws out there, and, uh, you know, we really focus on enforcing all those. Um, and, and we really rely on the help of the public to do that. Now, Scott, uh, let's let people know how exactly does this Operation Game Thief work? What are you supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. So Operation Game Thief, it's an anonymous tip line. Um, you can re- leave your personal information uh, if you choose, but you can also uh, leave anonymous information. And so you can call this number or you can email um, the Game Thief email number. and provide information on any sort of violations. Uh, Once we receive that information, that's forwarded to the local wildlife officer in that area. Uh, From there, the wildlife officer will uh, further investigate that. Uh, In some cases, we may need to contact that individual um, to get uh, further information, but for the most part, or that's basically done through a third party so that your um, name remains anonymous. Now, I think this is a great program, folks. I can tell you from experience that I, I, I read on the Internet all along and, and some of the blogs and, and some of the Facebook posts and especially on some of the forums that people see people they think are poaching and doing things that are very, very obviously illegal, especially on some of the bodies of water that I guide on. And they're always wondering what they're supposed to do. Uh, the last thing you really want them to do is get out there and really confront those people personally. Uh, we don't want any kind of confrontations happening. And I've absolutely heard of fights breaking out on. Uh, you know, on certain bodies of water where people are confronting each other for, for illegal operations and that kind of a thing. What you really want people to do is to call the one eight seven seven number, and we'll give that number out here in a second, or get on the website, and you can get the information down there. You're looking for a vehicle description, perhaps, if you can see the vehicle these people are traveling or something along those, description of the, the people that you suspect are, you know, doing some sort of porching behavior and all that kind of location and that sort of stuff. That's the kind of information you're looking for. And, you know, if you get enough phone calls in about a particular area and a particular car and that kind of thing, there's no doubt in my mind that eventually these park rangers out there looking for these kind of folks will find the folks that are violating. And I hear every year, Scott, about these outrageous cases of poaching, especially in the angling world that I'm part of. Um, I can't believe some of these cases where they find these people and they have hundreds of fish in their car or 40 trout on a stringer or something along those lines. So there's definitely a need for this kind of outreach from the public, right, Scott? Absolutely, yeah. If we can get the public to be a good witness, get good information, make note of license plates, numbers on boats, 
uh, that's really critical information that we can uh, follow up with those those people that are violating laws. Yeah, and it seems like nowadays just about everybody's walking around with a camera in their pocket, so you can always snap a quick picture. Don't make it real obvious. Don't be real obvious, but you can always snap a picture of a vehicle, and that's going to help a ranger out in the long run as far as trying to get a hold of these people and figure out exactly what they're doing. Scott, let's give all the information real fast. What is the one eight seven seven number that people can dial when they're seeing something they want to they want to notice? Uh, you know, give notice of. So anybody can call us toll-free uh, in Colorado at 1-877-COLORADO, or excuse me, C-O-L-O-O-G-T. Um, if you're with Verizon, you can dial pound O-G-T, and you can also contact us via email at game.thief at state.co.us. Uh, in addition, you can contact Colorado State Patrol star CSP and get in direct contact with uh, one of the wildlife officers as well. So there's a lot of good ways uh, to get a hold of us. All of this information is printed on the back of your hunting and fishing licenses. Perfect. And there's a lot of information on the website, folks, so you can get on there. Just Google Operation Game Thief Colorado, and you'll pull up all the information you're looking for. Outstanding. Scott Murdoch, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. You have a good one. And we are going to get right back to the phones, folks. And joining us from Adventure Camper is Ray Reeves. Ray, how are you doing this morning? I'm wonderful. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm kind of fired up. I'm taking place here for Terry. Terry's up north fishing, having a good time. So I'm in studio, you know, doing the hard lifting for him. But what do you guys got going on out there at Adventure Camper? Well, you know, uh, Labor Day always kind of signals the... um, drawn to the close of the summer camping season and the start of the hunting season and uh, we're doing the same thing so we got a lot of folks out enjoying a good last long weekend of the summer and then next week we got muzzle loader season starting and uh, we're staying busy for that as well it's definitely that time of year people are getting ready to get up and doing some hunting we're going to be talking about that later in the show with nathan Zelensky. but you guys have any good specials you know late in the season that are going on right now well yeah after labor day uh our rates drop down so customers can enjoy off-season rates uh, starting on tuesday of next week so if guys are out there and want to get a rental camper to go hunting either for muzzleloader archery or you know into the main rifle seasons coming up in october uh, we've got good availability. The prices drop down for guys that want to rent a trailer. And, and if you're looking at buying a trailer, this is, fall is always the best time of year to get a good deal on buying a trailer. That's when you're going to get the best deals out there. And, and we certainly got those if somebody's interested in buying one. Why don't you tell people where you're located? We are down near uh, Rappo Road and Jordan Road, southeast Metro Denver. Where you can find us on the web at uh, www.adventurecamper.com. Ray Reeves. They have everything you need, folks. They have vehicles they can rent to pull those trailers. They got the trailers. And I'm here to tell you, don't sleep on the fishing in the fall, folks, up in the mountains. It's an excellent opportunity to rent a trailer, head up to North Park, and camp that thing on the side of North Delaney. The big trout in North Delaney like to put the feed bag on as we get into the fall. So it's an outstanding opportunity to get out. And that is exactly the kind of adventure I'm looking on going on this fall. So Adventure Camper, I want to thank you for joining us, Ray. All right. Have a good day. Have a good one, buddy. And you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors here on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Honey Smoked Fish Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer.
Desperado. I had to wait for that Desperado, folks. <laughs> You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. This is Ronnie Castelloni. I'm sitting for, in for Terry Wickstrom today. We are going to go right back to the phones for our second park segment. And joining us, he is an invasive species specialist with Parks and Wildlife, Robert Walters. Robert, how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing pretty good on a beautiful Sunday, Saturday morning of a holiday weekend. It is gorgeous out there, no doubt about it. I plan on getting on the water soon. And talking about, you know, getting on the water, heading up to the rivers and that kind of thing, we have something that happens here in the state. That is the aquatic nuisance. Nu- I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a, I can't really say it. Aquatic nuisance species program that we got. <laughs> got I, I usually just say A&S, you know, it's always, <laughs> oh, I got to go stop for the A&S. Uh, but we've got something that's happened here recently as far as a, a lake that has tested positive. Why don't you tell folks what's going on here in the state? Yeah. So what I wanted to kind of get across to all of your listeners today is that we have actually detected quagga mussel villagers in some samples that were collected up at Green Mountain Reservoir. Um, These villagers that we detected, um, we're not 100% sure if they were dead or alive at the time of detection, and I do want to make sure that it's clear that Green Mountain Reservoir is not infested with these species, but we do have confirmed through a genetic analysis that these are, in fact, quagga mussel villagers, so we are taking extra precautions up there to ensure that these species don't have the potential to move into other lakes or reservoirs across the state. Now, we've had in the past some other lakes in the state that have tested positive for similar type things, be it quagga mussels or zebra mussels. What exactly does this mean for that lake? Uh, what is it going to do as far as changing the A&S program that's up there? Uh, so what it means for that program is that at this point we're going to be running what we call a containment program. We're still going to continue to inspect every boat that goes out onto the reservoir to ensure that no additional Um, villagers or any sort of aquatic nuisance species are introduced, but the change that you are going to see up there at Green Mountain is that we're now going to be doing high-risk inspections on every boat that's leaving the reservoir, and if those boats are headed for another location, they're going to have to go through our decontamination process to ensure that they're not transporting any of these um, villagers that may be present in the water with them to other waters. Now, for listeners who aren't familiar with the ANS program or exactly how that works, what happens, folks, is when you get to one of these lakes, uh, usually you have to stop for inspection when you come to the lake, and they're going to look at your boat real fast and see if you have a tag on your boat. That means you were properly inspected when you left the last body of water, that sort of a thing. And then when you exit a lot of the lakes in Colorado as well, you can also stop and get tagged there. There's some lakes that it's not mandatory on, but a lot of lakes it is mandatory that you go ahead and stop and get inspected. So now if somebody is leaving Green Mountain Reservoir, They're going to have two options. Isn't that right? Uh, That's essentially correct. I mean, they do have to go through that inspection process. That is not optional at this point. Sure. Um, Ideally, what we would like to see is if those boats are headed for another location, that they are decontaminated right there at the source at Green Mountain Reservoir so that we are 100% sure that anything that may be on their boat when they're leaving that location is dead before they ever leave the property. So that's the best option, at least from perspective of parks and wildlife. And the other thing, let's say somebody was planning on fishing that lake again, as far as the next lake they're going to come back to, uh, you don't necessarily have to go through that decontamination process, uh, but you're going to get a, a special receipt that will only allow you to get back into that lake, right, without being decontaminated. Isn't that the case? Uh, yeah, that's that's essentially the case. So what they're going to be doing up at um, Green Mountain Reservoir, for anyone that's familiar with our program, is we issue blue receipts at our locations that are um, positive or suspect for these different types of invasive species. 
and that blue receipt indicates that you're coming off of a water where one of these species has been detected. If you're leaving Green Mountain Reservoir, they're going to ask you, do you intend to return to this location? If you are going to return to Green Mountain, then you don't necessarily have to go through that decontamination process. It's really if you're headed towards another body of water that you need to get that procedure performed. Now, let's talk talk a little bit about what are some of the different invasive species that you folks, uh, you know, have your eyes out looking for? You know, what what is it we've got to be concerned about here in the state? Well, certainly the zebra and quagga mussel are the most detrimental um, aquatic invasive species here in the United States. So that's our probably our number one concern out there. But there are several other species of concern, including things such as the New Zealand mud snail, which is present in some locations here in the state of Colorado, uh, Eurasian water milfoil, which is a highly aggressive aquatic plant species, and several others like the rusty crayfish. Now, I think the boaters, you know, in recent years have gotten a lot of pub as far as, you know, having to do this inspection and going through all the process and everything. But it's not just the boaters that we have to worry about. Uh, what are some of the other things that you have to worry about as far as, you know, other ways people might be transporting some of these invasive species around the state or around the country? Great point. Yeah, any type of water-based recreation has potential to transport these different types of invasive species, whether that's um, angling or even things like paddleboarding and kayaking, anything where you're coming into contact with the water, you have potential to move around these different invasive species. So what we really ask is no matter what type of water-based recreation you're doing out there, just make sure that all your equipment is properly clean, drained, and dried between um, uses, and that way everybody's doing their part to help stop the spread of these um, invasive species. Yeah, I know waders are a big concern, and it used to be that those felt bottom shoes uh, were, uh, you know, a culprit as far as locking and trapping in some of those snails and things like that, and they could get, you know, moved around the state into different bodies of water. Now it seems like they've gotten rid of a lot of those shoes, or you can't wear them in certain parts, and it's a little bit less, but still waders, nets, uh, even fishing line, you know, can hold water, can trap spores, can do things along those natures. And it's, uh, it's very, very easy to transport these things around. But it's also very easy to decontaminate these items and kind of take care of that. And that's going to prevent the spread of these things. And once they get into the system, folks, once you actually have a body of water that is infested with something like a zebra mussel or a quagga mussel or a snail, it is incredibly difficult to get them out of that system. Isn't that right, Scott? Uh, yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. We have no um, known ways out there that you could really eradicate something like the zebra or quagga mussel from a water body. So, really, what we try to get across is that our best um, protection here is prevention. By preventing the introduction of these species, we have a great chance to continue to keep our bodies of water um, free from these invaders. Robert, I called you Scott. Sorry about that. It's all good, buddy. <laughs> That's it. And, you know, if folks want to find out more information about this, and, and I, I was online last night. I read through all the stuff. There's a great pamphlet and booklet that you can print up and take along with you in the boat. It describes all this kind of information. But why don't you tell folks where they can find this stuff online? Yeah, certainly. We have all this information available on the Parks and Wildlife website at uh, cpw.state.co.us. And from there, if you just navigate to our boat inspection page or aquatic nuisance species um, directory on there, you'll find all this information and the uh, different pamphlets and things on there that you just mentioned.
Yeah, and there's a few videos on there you can watch if you're not familiar with the, the boat inspection process and things like that. You can watch the videos. Uh, maybe you're coming from another state. You've just moved to Colorado like it seems everybody is doing. So, you know, get on there and pay attention to this stuff and understand what's going on. You know, once you've done this over and over and over again, like I've done it, you know, a zillion times coming in and out of the legs, the process is very, very simple, folks. And as long as you go about the steps and you take care and you clean, dry, and drain and you get your boat tagged, when you come back through, it's a no-brainer. You come through real, real quick, they cut the tag off, and you give them the receipt, and you get to go about your business. So it's not as cumbersome and burdensome as, as a lot of anglers and people around the state like to like to make it sound at times. It's a great thing that we're doing here in the state, and we definitely have some success stories about some lakes that tested positive, and because of the enforced inspections and all the mandatory things that they made, uh, those lakes have come off the list, you know, and, and that's a good deal, right, right Robert? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. We've had eight reservoirs here in the state of Colorado throughout the history of our program that have tested either positive or suspect for the zebra or quagga mussel villagers. And through our diligence and the participation of the public in our boat inspection program, we have stopped the continued inoculation of those species and been able to um, essentially prevent them from developing into an established population. So we really need the help of the public here to um, help participate with our program again. All it really takes is making sure that your boat's clean, drain, and dry, and working with our inspectors and doing your part out there to keep our waters free of these species. We definitely have a success story as far as that goes here in the state, and I know other states are looking to Colorado and seeing what we've done and how we've gone about it, because there are a lot of states where these mussels or some other things have gotten into the bodies of water, and at this point, they're just kind of hosed. You know, there's no way they can get them out. So uh, we are definitely an example for the rest of the country. Robert, why don't you tell them one more time? the website and if there's a phone number or anything like that that they can get a hold of yeah again it's uh, just ctw.state.co.us and you can navigate to our boat inspection page and if you have any um, questions specific to our ans program you can always call us at our program office at 303-291-7295 robert walters i want to thank you for joining us this morning oh not a problem thanks for the opportunity and have a great weekend all right and you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors here on sports radio 104.3 the fan you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors presented in part by sun enterprises colorado's largest atv and motorcycle dealer you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors presented in part by sportsman's warehouse america's premier outfitter Terry and his Eagles music. I just can't get away from it when I come in studio. It's all over the place. You're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors. This is Ronnie Castelluni. I'm sitting in for Terry. And it is time for our Ask the Experts segment. And this segment right here is a pretty cool deal. Terry was just talking about it during the break. This is where you can send questions in to terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com. Send a question in, an outdoor question, fishing, hunting, hiking, camping, all of that kind of good stuff. Send it in to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And if he answers it on the air or one of the guest hosts answer it on the air, you're going to get yourself a $25 gift certificate to Sportsman's Warehouse. So our question comes from Hal. Hal is in Fort Collins up in northern Colorado by me. And his question is this, and it is a timely question, folks, no doubt about it. It. Question as follows. I have noticed the water receding in many of the reservoirs here in northern Colorado. How is this going to affect us fishing, especially for walleyes and smallmouth bass species? Will I catch f- less fish during this time or more fish or what's the case? Please advise. 
All right. Well, Halverson, we touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, but we are going to get to it right now a little more detail. Falling water is definitely something that we have to deal with here in Colorado. It is a plus and a minus in a lot of ways. Uh, certain things are going to happen as the water drops out of a reservoir. Uh, let's take horse tooth, for example, right now. The water is dropping very, very fast, like I mentioned earlier in the show. This will absolutely move fish around the lake. There's no doubt about it. Now, this time of year, we're still mid to late summer, and the water temperatures are still staying, you know, lower 70s up on horse tooth. So it's kind of consistent as far as water temperature goes, but water level is dropping fast. That will definitely cause fish to move from the depth that they want to be on particular structure to that same depth on adjacent structure as the water falls off the structure that they're on. So horse tooth, for example, we have a lot of main lake points. We have a lot of submerged gravel humps that are out there on the main lake, and we have some rock piles and some ridges and things like that that are around the lake that are at different depths. The key is to know, you know, what depths these humps are at and understand that between one week or the next or even one day to the next, those humps are going to change in depth in the water column. So if we're seeing a lot of fish in that 20 to 25 foot range, which is where we're seeing a lot of fish right now on a horse tooth, folks, those fish want to be on structure that is at that depth. So a main lake point or any of the points on the lake, for example, those fish don't have to move very far off those points. They like to get on the points. And when the water is falling off, one of the reasons they go to the points is because they can just easily slide down the point as the water drops off the point. They don't necessarily have to move real far from where they're at and so there's definitely a lot of fish that are on the points at horse tooth right now. I will tell you those fish that are on the points, however, can be very, very difficult to fish this time of year. They've been heavily pressured. The points are really, really obvious. So a lot of boats that go by are going to fish all the points. So the points get fished a lot. Those fish get a lot of pressure. So a lot of times it's about timing those points and trying to get to those points when those fish are on the feed. The best way of doing that is running around the lake and scanning those points. And what you're looking for is not just signs that there are game fish that are situated on on those points, you're looking for bait fish that is also pushed up to the points. You may scan four or five points and the first three just have signs that there's fish laying schooled up on those points. You get to the fourth one and those fish are no longer laying schooled up on those points. Those fish are more suspended just slightly off of the bottom, all over the point. And the reason they're like that is because you see a big cloud of bait either pushed up to that point, be it the rainbow smelt that are in the lake or the gizzard shad that are moving all over the lake. Those fish that are on the points where they're there's bait fish actively around those points. They are absolutely going to be feeding, and those are the fish that you can target, and you can catch those fish a lot of different ways. The humps can be also very, very productive. Those are the submerged humps. And I mentioned a little bit about trying to understand what depth those humps are at. And if you were catching fish on one hump the week before that had 15 to 25 feet of water on it, and you come back to it and that hump there has only got five feet of water on it, then you need to slide out to the next hump that the week before might have been 35 feet deep. Now that hump is going to be in play. And that is a big key on horse tooth is understanding where those humps are and understanding what depth they're at. Uh, now, some of the other things that falling water will do to the lake. Falling water will clarify the main body of a lake. A lot of lakes, as the water drops out of them, the main body, the main portion of the water gets to be crystal clear. Boyd is an example of that. When they're running water out of Boyd, then out in the middle of the lake, you can get visibility sometimes going 10, 15 feet down in that lake. Um, 
But what also happens as water drops out of a lake or reservoir is that the mud lines start to form on the banks. So you get areas of dirty water. You may have particular bays or particular coves or particular spots that get very, very muddy. The very, very muddy stuff I try to stay away from most of the time. It's, it's a lot more difficult to make contact with fish when the water is just completely mudded out. But one of the patterns that we run as the water falls out of a lake like Horsetooth or Carter or Boyd is the mudline pattern. There's no doubt about it. We've talked about the mudline pattern before on the radio show. And the basic deal is this, is there's going to be a point throughout the day. It tends to have to do with whether or not there's any wind that's happening on the reservoir or on the lake or what time of the day boats get out and start running around the lake. Once the boats start running around Horsetooth, which usually happens at about 9.30 or so on a weekend, weekdays it's a little bit later usually, maybe 10.30 to 11 o'clock is when we start seeing a, a good number of boats running around the reservoir. As those boats run around the reservoir, they throw wakes at the banks. As the water drops off the banks, now the banks that may have been covered in vegetation or have been all hard rock on a lake like Horsetooth, now there's big areas of mud and dirt that now now those wakes are blasting up against. Those will absolutely form a mud line in those scenarios. And if you time the mud line right and you get there as the mud line is just starting to form, as the mud is still floating very, very high in the water column, and what you'll notice then as well is that the mud line will actually have a really, really defined edge to it. It won't just be clouded out water that looks super dirty. It'll look more like a cloud of mud floating in the water with a distinct edge to it. When it looks like that and the boats are running around it has been proven year and year and year after year that we can run that pattern around the lake and when that happens fish move up from the deeper water that they may be situated on that bank and they come up shallow and they feed it gives them a low light opportunity where the predators have the advantage it gives them a transition from clear water to the dirty water where the fish may either like to sit in the dirty water and ambush fish coming into it or they sit on the outer edge and they ambush fish or bait or cray or, or prey or crayfish or anything like that that comes out of the dirty water, they sit there in the ambush and they absolutely get up in there and feed. We catch largemouth doing that. We catch smallmouth doing that. We catch walleye doing that. Running the mud lines is an outstanding pattern as the water drops, but it's all about timing. If you're there a couple hours too late, then you're going to show up and you're going to struggle to catch fish in that real dirty water. And if you're there an hour too early, you'll pull to the bank and there won't be a mud line to speak of. So that's a real good pattern. How do we go about targeting those fish that are on the mud lines or on the main lake points or even the fish that are on the humps. Well, this time of year, it is a good time of year to get out and cover some water so that you can locate those fish. So I like to power fish. So I'm going to do some deep cranking, that sort of a thing, cover a lot of water. And then once I locate the water and make contact with the fish, then I may slow that down at that point and drag a jig through the water, maybe snap jig something through the water column, maybe really, really stroke a jig hard, maybe get on the outer edge of it and throw jerk baits or something along those lines. If I'm looking for largemouth in that scenario, a lot of times I'm going to throw a spinner bait, uh, get that bait in there. I'm looking for baits that throw off a lot of vibration, baits that cover water this time of year, baits that will trigger reaction strikes from fish that may be a little lethargic or fish that are a little spooky because the water's dropping off of them and they're having to move a whole bunch around. That is an excellent way to go about it if you spend time doing that. The other thing I'm going to mention real fast and I'm running out of time is that as the water drops out of the lake, it is an excellent opportunity to study the shoreline of the lake. Get out, walk around the lake, map the lake, put GPS points down on things that look like fish 
just might want to live there. Walk trails around. Get all your information. That is an advantage we have here in the state is that we can do that. You can't do that everywhere. I'm going to take it to a break. When we get back, Nathan Zielinski is going to be joining us, folks. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors here on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. 